Hey, I've got some exciting news for you. For nearly a decade, the Social Media Marketing Society has been helping marketers like you to keep up with the changing times. This is our private community just for marketers, and the doors are open right now. When you join, you get access to ongoing training and become part of a welcoming community of marketers who are just like you. Learn more at smmarketingsociety.com. Again, smmarketingsociety.com. Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Podcast, helping you navigate the social media jungle. And now, here is your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast, brought to you by socialmediaexaminer.com. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for marketers and business owners who want to know what works with social media. This week, I'll be joined by AJ Wilcox, and we're going to explore LinkedIn advertising. If you've been thinking about LinkedIn ads, but you haven't really ever done it before, this is the show for you. By the way, if you want to reach me, you can reach me on Instagram at Stelzner or email podcast at socialmediaexaminer.com. And now for this week's brand new discovery. Helping you stay alive in the social jungle. Here is this week's survival tip. Today, I'm joined by Eric Fisher with a brand new discovery. What'd you find, Eric? I found my favorite app to record and edit video on my iPhone. Really? Tell me more. Yes. So for me to make that claim means there must be something special about this. So it's called 24 FPS. The FPS obviously stands for frames per second. And uh, what the 24 is alluding to is that film feel. Film has a 24 frames per second uh, shutter on it. Well, not only is this able to shoot in that and it can do 30 and it can do 60, so it can look like home video and all that kind of stuff, but it can make what I'm shooting on my phone look cinematic in a number of ways. One is, again, the frames per second, but the stabilization on this thing. Now, you know, modern cell phones the iPhone in particular, have this kind of stabilization that they can really do stuff with. Well, this takes it like to an unknown, you know, level that I've never seen before called cinematic stabilization. So it makes, uh, makes it super smooth. Is that the idea? It's like, it's buttery smooth in a way I never knew was possible on a cell phone shooting video. Okay. This is fascinating. Some people are going to be surprised by this, but way back in the days I used to sell video cameras. Did you know that? I did not know that. <laughs> I worked at Sears and I was there selling video cameras and the video stabilization first came out. And the way it works is it has to um, crop in. When you shake the camera around, there's certain parts that are always in scene, right? And the idea is that it's cropping in on the picture and it's uh, showing not what's around the edges, right? So that it can, if you accidentally jerk to the side or whatever, so that it keeps the complete picture looking super, super smooth. So essentially it's kind of like, uh, you know, each time you move it, it's like a piece of paper, but it's got that rectangular shape and it's just cropping out the edges and usually computer chips, you know, are like, but in this case, software are kind of like stabilizing the entire thing. So does it look totally smooth when you move it around and stuff like that? 
I mean, again, it looks more smooth than I've ever thought was possible. I mean, I was walking around and you can, by the way, this, I, I should make this, this disclaimer. It does the vertical video, the widescreen video, all the widescreen formats, the, the one that's slimmer, the one that's 16 by nine, and also uh, the one-to-one, the square. And so in any way that you're holding it, if you have this on and you're, wa- I was walking around my house and even outside and it just looked like I was using some sort of advanced, super advanced camera. So I'd switch over to the regular camera and do the stabilization that way. And I could just see the blurriness. I was playing back what I'd recorded and it was, it was just night and day difference. Fascinating. And does it work at the higher frame rates too? Do you know? It does. It does. Yeah. So the stabilization is not dependent upon a specific frame rate. You can do that on, you know, the 60 frame rate, which is the one that, you know, makes it seem more, uh, home movie. So it's kind of like you're using a gimbal, huh? Do you know what a gimbal is? Yes. It's like, I I mean, I was going to, I was almost debating whether I was going to say this, but it's almost as if you have a built in gimbal into your phone without having to have it strapped into all this gear and a long wand and all of that. Cool. Do you know if it records in 4k versus, uh, 1080? It's, it's full 4k and, uh, some of the other I actually want to make sure I don't forget to say this. Uh, it's also got all these amazing filters and it's got AI filters. So what it's doing is it it can see what filters you're applying as you record or in post to the videos you upload into the app to edit afterwards. It walks you through a process where it says, hey, here's four circles with mo- moving video on the screen. Which one looks best to you? And you pick one and then you do it again and you, you do it about four or five times. And then it kind of gives you this plethora of kind of self-chosen, uh, AI-chosen filters for you to choose from, which add a little more, a little more pop to your your videos. Huh. Fascinating. Uh, what's this thing cost? So it is free. The only thing you need to do is if you want to unlock more filters, you can pay. I believe it's three ninety nine uh, a month, or it's a, a further. It's a bigger cost, like twenty something for like a year. There's one other cool factor. I don't want to forget to say this. That also blew my mind. It's something called inertia zoom. So when you couple the cinematic stabilization with inertia zoom, it makes it so that you've got this super smooth, stable video when you're zoomed in. You know how the further you're zoomed in on something, like even the slightest jiggle of your hand, like knocks it way out of frame with this it keeps it in the frame. So what I'm hearing you say is it keeps it stabilized as you zoom in really, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so that you don't lose where it is. I mean, you could still knock your hand and like lose it, but uh, yeah. again. Very cool. Yeah, by zooming in with this zoom, you're not going to lose it as you Is zoom. it only iOS or is it also Android? Do you know? Unfortunately, it is only iOS. I'm hoping that they can cover our Android friends with a version for them, but for now it is iOS only. Where do we find it? Uh, you can find it at their home base website, which is polar.co. That's polar, P-O-L-A-R-R dot C-O. Awesome. Thank you for that find, Eric. You're welcome. I was recently at Social Media Marketing World, and I had a chance to connect with some of our best customers. A lot of them listen to our podcast, just like you do. Not everyone knows what I'm about to share with you. We do something special here at Social Media Examiner. The best of the best of the guests that you hear on the social media marketing podcast, not only teach at our conference, but they're also part of our secret society called the social media marketing society. Each month 
our top tier guests who have been on my show are invited to train inside our society for an exclusive group of marketers who are just like you. The training is designed to help you go from being a passive consumer of content to a marketer who is in active learning mode. So if you're ready to make real progress with your marketing, you're a perfect fit for the Social Media Marketing Society. Join us by visiting smmarketingsociety.com. We've got a really big sale that is ending very soon, so don't delay. Again, visit smmarketingsociety.com and join today. And now for my interview with AJ Wilcox. Helping you to simplify your social safari. Here is this week's expert guide. Today, I'm excited to be joined by AJ Wilcox. If you don't know who AJ is, he is the world's leading LinkedIn ads expert and author of LinkedIn Ads Demystified. He's also the founder of B2Linked.com, a LinkedIn ads agency. AJ, welcome back to the show. Michael, super excited to be here. Thanks for the super warm intro. Well, I think your expertise is pretty evident. It's LinkedIn focused, and that's what we're going to zoom in on today is LinkedIn ads. It's been a long time, a long, long time, as a matter of fact, at least three years since I've specifically talked about this with you or at all on this podcast. So I know a lot's changed in the last couple of years. I guess the first question I'd like to ask you, AJ, is so many of my audience, they're very focused on Facebook and in particular, Facebook advertising. And I would love you to share why they ought to take a second look at LinkedIn for their ads. Great. Well, if you're in B2B and you've scaled as much as you can on Facebook, but you still need more scale, I think LinkedIn is the answer, at least on the ad side. Uh, On Facebook, you're really relying on that very small percentage of people who are willing to put their titles and their companies into their their personal Facebook profile, which is, I don't know, probably like four to eight percent of people even, you know, bother doing that. Mm -hmm. Whereas they gave all of that information the second they joined LinkedIn. You know, LinkedIn you have access to 95% of of white collar professionals. So it's amazing for scale. But also if you've ever gotten feedback from the sales team that maybe your Facebook leads are of poor quality. Uh, you have tire kickers, mom and pops that you don't want in there. LinkedIn's targeting really takes care of that and makes sales teams happy. Can you share any of the demographics off the top of your head as far as the kinds of people or the numbers of people that are on LinkedIn? Yeah, their most recent announcement was 630 million people on the site. Wow. We know we have something like like 200 million uh, just in North America. And so they're definitely growing faster outside of North America than they are inside. But certainly inside, I mean, we've got probably 95% penetration with white collar professionals. Pretty incredible. What's the kind of use behavior that you've seen on LinkedIn? Because I know it's different than obviously Facebook. People don't go to LinkedIn necessarily to just catch up with what's going on with their friends, or maybe they do. Yeah, usually people are going to LinkedIn because they have something in mind. They're going to have a conversation. Maybe they got the email saying that uh, someone wants to connect to them and they want to you know, accept that request. Um, so people certainly have less time on LinkedIn, which really does two things to you as an advertiser. Number one, it's going to make you get to the point faster. No more you know, super long posts where you're trying to, to draw them in. You just cut straight to the point. Uh, and it also means that you as an advertiser, your ads aren't um, totally saturated on your audience after you know three days to a week and a half. Pretty much if you launch ad content on LinkedIn, it'll live pretty nicely for about a month. So you're not having to refresh ad creative nearly as often. Well, and it's one of the few social platforms that actually encourages people to create content, right? Because on Facebook, for example, there's almost no reach when you post 
organically on the platform at all. But LinkedIn actually encourages people to write and to share content. Am I right or am I wrong? Oh, you're 100% right. I mean, LinkedIn organically is the easiest network in the world to go viral on. And the reason why is because when someone, anytime someone hits like, comment, or share on your post, it then goes to a portion of their network. So if you have something that makes people want to get involved, um, you can have many, many more views than you have followers, which is really the recipe for virality. So it's, it's great. A lot of people are coming back to LinkedIn on the organic side just because it's such a great place to get free eyeballs. Well, and the other side of the coin too, is that on the mobile app, it feels exactly like Facebook. And you sometimes forget you're not inside of Facebook for people that live in Facebook. And I think that they've done a really good job of creating an experience, if you will, that's actually designed to keep you there. And in the olden days, I couldn't say that. I feel like I don't know what the average user session is. I would imagine it's much higher than it was a couple of years ago, but it really is very cool. And you've got obviously all sorts of different content. They're finally, they've finally rolled out live video. You've got longer form you know, video, 10 minutes or less. And then of course, you've got just tons of links to external websites and articles and everything. So, I mean, if you have not messed around with LinkedIn in a while, Look at it because maybe some of your business network that used to be active on Facebook that disappeared, they might be over there on LinkedIn. <laughs> it's true. And then the other thing is that LinkedIn won't share really much about their activity, their user activity. But what they have shared is just for the 2018 year, people spent on average 30 to 40% more time in their news feeds. So we know people are spending more time. Maybe at some point, uh, they won't be ashamed of that number and they'll share with us what it actually is. More time than the prior year. Is that what that means? Exactly. Yep. Awesome. All right. So uh, we've talked about some of the value of LinkedIn and, and the kind of community that's there. And well, we did talk about some of the sizes of the communities that are there, but do you find that people that are there mostly are either seeking or are actively employed? Do you have any insight on that at all? You know, we've seen statistics every so often that, that say that there's a large percentage of the population at any given time who's open to a career change. Mm. Um, but certainly the majority of the ads that we run are, are lead generation focused. So we're trying to sell them because of the position that they're in currently. Right. But we do run quite a bit on the recruiting side. And uh, those ads traditionally perform very, very well. So yeah, I think, I mean, it's not just a network to go when you're looking for a job, but certainly if you're targeting people who are looking, uh, it's, it's a great network there too. Yeah. And I guess what I'm implying is that a lot of people that hang out on LinkedIn probably are higher value prospects, especially if you're B2B than Facebook, because people that are retired, probably they're probably not hanging out on LinkedIn is my guess. They're probably going to be on Instagram and Facebook, but people that are active in the workplace, I, I don't know. I'm just hypothesizing here, but my guess is the average income is probably higher. Yeah, I think that's definitely accurate. And you know, there's definitely something to be said for the fact that many of the same people are on both LinkedIn and Facebook concurrently. And so it, it's hard to say that you're going to find a better quality prospect on LinkedIn, but certainly through the targeting, we know we can hit that high quality prospect on LinkedIn. On Facebook, it's a lot fuzzier and a lot harder. So certainly if you want to be more surgical, LinkedIn is a great network for that. All right. Now the next question, which will automatically disqualify some people listening right now, <laughs> who should consider advertising on LinkedIn? It's not for everybody, right? So talk to us about this. 
Yeah, certainly. I mean, the biggest complaint we hear from people about LinkedIn ads is it's expensive, you know, six to nine dollars per click. And so what that means is you've got to have either a very efficient funnel or make a lot of money on the back end. So that does certainly disqualify quite a few different types of companies. So I've boiled it down to three different segments. If you fit in one of these three, then you're good to go. If you're outside, please don't waste your money. So number one is if you're in lead generation with a high lifetime value. So let's say after you close a deal, a a client is worth 15K or more to you, then great, you're a high LTV, you're in lead generation. This is mostly B2B, but certainly there are B2C use cases here. Second is if you are doing any sort of white collar recruiting. Like if you're trying to hire a new marketing manager, let's say, you could target people who already have the title marketing manager in your area and just ask them if they're interested in a job. And you know, even something that simple can work really well. And then finally, if you're in higher education, like let's say an MBA program that's looking to recruit new candidates, uh, this is a great way because LinkedIn's education targeting is amazing. Excellent. I know we've been throwing around the word B2B a lot. One of the questions I've got for you is, do you have any examples of advertisers that are on the B2C side of things, just so people might be thinking out of the box a little bit here? Yeah, we definitely think B2B when we think LinkedIn, but certainly there are great use cases for B2C. A couple that I've already mentioned, you know, I've mentioned recruiting, I've mentioned education. Those are technically B2C, even though the targeting for B2B works really well for them. Right. Financial services tends to work really well. Like I know Amex is a big advertiser, Visa, and then Mercedes even had an interesting case study with LinkedIn where they proved out that they could sell cars to executives. So yeah, that's obviously very B2C. So if you are selling something, and I know we have a lot of B2C listeners in our audience, I would imagine if you're selling real estate, potentially, I don't know, commercial real estate or residential real estate, something that's got a really big payout on it, right? Um, Like the commissions on some of these things is gargantuous. I would imagine might be an opportunity on the platform or is that totally off base? Oh yeah. I've been trying to get a client in the commercial real estate arena for quite a while because I definitely think that that has possibilities. Um, but real estate agents tend to be a little bit on the more conservative side with media. And so I haven't talked anyone into it yet, but anyone here in commercial real estate, let's talk. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. So let's assume you're uh, either you and or your clients or future prospect clients or whatever are in this target audience that we're talking about, then the rest of this interview is for you. And if for those of you that are not, just listen along to learn because you might find down the road, this might be valuable for you or someone you know. So let's talk about where do we need to start when it comes to uh, ads with LinkedIn? Well, my favorite acronym for thinking how to approach, you know, this is LinkedIn ads specifically, but it works for all sorts of social media ads. Uh, It's an acronym called AMO, A-M-O. I just think, make sure to bring your AMO to LinkedIn ads. Uh, (laughs) This stands for your audience, your message, and your offer. So it's the three things that you need uh, for any social ad. Um, the audience is really the targeting, how you're you're approaching, like how do you identify who the, the person is. Um, the message is what the prospect sees. So the ad format that you're using, the ad copy you're using, and the image. And then the offer, it, it's really what you're using to lure someone in. You can think of it like a lead magnet, that sort of thing. And so if you have all three of those pieces, you know, we can walk through each one individually, but this is kind of what you need to get started. Make sure you've got all three of those pieces and then coming to LinkedIn and running a a whole campaign is going to be pretty simple. Cool. I believe you told me in the pre-show, right? When you set up an ad, you have to first choose an objective, right? So talk, talk to me about what those choices are that are given to you when you first set up an ad. 
Yeah, and this is something new to LinkedIn as well. If if you maybe played with LinkedIn ads, call it six months or more ago, you know you won't have been used to this. But LinkedIn went the way of Facebook, where now as soon as you go to create a campaign, it's going to ask you first your objective, very Facebook-like. They've started out, you have website visits, engagement, video views, and lead generation. So that would be like like Facebook's lead ads. Uh, So those are the four we have now. And then at some point here in the future, they're going to open up website conversions, job applicants, and brand awareness objectives. So anything we need to know about these different objective types from your experience? You know, my recommendation is always to start with the most simple. Uh, And my same recommendation is going to go for, you know, when you choose ad formats as well, Um, what you want for a pilot test on LinkedIn, if you're just kind of inching your way into it, you want the most simple and easiest to diagnose. So I would say start everything with website visits, unless you have video creative and that's what you're going for, or unless you need a lead generation form, but start with website visits and, you know, start with the most vanilla version of ad you can so that you can troubleshoot and make sure that your audience is resonating with your offer. If you choose one of these objective types, does it take you down kind of like a little wizard? How does the choice that you make impact the rest of the user experience as you're setting up your ad? Yeah, great question. It actually has very little sway on the options that you choose. It just changes the way that LinkedIn bids for you. I see. So if you choose website visits, they're going to give you a, a max CPC, a max CPM bid, and then also an automated bid, which uh, stay away from automated bid. If you choose engagement, you're going to bid by the like or the company follow or the comment. Uh, If you choose lead generation, you're going to bid by the lead form open or the submitted lead form. So, And video, you're going to bid by the cost per view. And what do they consider a view? For them, it's a two-second view. So What? That's even worse than Facebook. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I'm not a fan. Uh, On the organic side, a view is three seconds. But for some reason in ads, it's two seconds. All right. Since we're on the video thing, uh, does it auto unmute or how does that work? Is it muted when you're having a video in an ad? It does play muted just like Facebook, but it's actually kind of a pain to unmute. Mm. Uh, so I would highly recommend make sure you have subtitles in any video creative you run on LinkedIn. Awesome. So really the one to start with, what I'm hearing you is the the website traffic, website visits, whatever we called it there. Uh, that's the easiest one. And then, you know, you just can send that to a page or a form or an offer. Is that what I'm hearing you say? Exactly. And then if you have a high click-through rate, you know your ad resonated. And then when you have a high conversion rate, you know either your landing page or your offer resonated. And if you don't, if you have a poor click-through rate or a poor conversion rate, you know where to focus your effort. So I love that for, for just troubleshooting. How does LinkedIn track your conversions? They have a conversion pixel very much like Facebook does. If it's a lead form, they obviously know that a lead was submitted on LinkedIn. But if it's on your landing page, you'll just set up a conversion, place the pixel on the the thank you page. They do have an event-based conversion as well. Got it. So basically, you could also, I would imagine, use uh, Google Analytics UTM parameters, right? You probably recommend that just to be able to track it inside of Analytics. Yes. For all of our clients, we always set Google Analytics up with goal conversions right. uh, just as a second voice. It's really nice in case your LinkedIn conversions aren't firing. Right. You can always go back to, to Google Analytics and vice versa. Okay. So we've talked about objectives. Um, let's talk about audience targeting. What are our options? Because you kind of alluded early in the conversation that this is one of the distinct advantages to LinkedIn that you're not necessarily going to find on Facebook. So talk to us a little bit about what our options are with ta- audience targeting. 
Yes, I love targeting on LinkedIn. I mean, this is the reason why we pay LinkedIn prices is for their LinkedIn audience. Immediately, I'm going to try to separate every audience into two different pieces. I want to understand who the professional is, his or herself, and then I want to understand what type of company that they're at. And the reason why is if you told me that you go after CFOs and your product costs like $1,200 a month, I would tell you, well, you're probably not going to sell to a CFO of a two-person company uh, with you know something of that that nature, like that price point. Right. So we want to understand a little bit about both. So on the organization side, on what type of company, we really have three filters. We can target by company industry, so what industry they're in. We can target by company size with the number of employees. And then we can also target by company name. Uh, so those of you who are doing account-based marketing where you're targeting only very specific companies by name, LinkedIn has had this for years and it's super underappreciated, super powerful. So when we target the job role, so let's just say like it's a director of marketing, right? So we can target a director of marketing in an industry, like what, how many different industries do they have? And can you drill down really deep? Talk to me about that a little bit. Yeah, I'm not sure how many industries. I'm guessing it's probably somewhere between about 30 and 50 industries. You'll start with broader ones like arts, tech, education, and then you drill down and under education, you might see like post-secondary or for-profit, not-for-profit, you know, those types of industries. Right. So there's quite a few of them there. So I would imagine under marketing would be a lot of different categories, right? Because you've got probably advertising, social media, marketing, and probably a lot of other industries perhaps that you could target. There's actually only one industry for marketing and advertising. Wow. And, and when someone says that they are, or when a company says that they are in that industry, I immediately know that they're, they are an agency. And so sometimes if you're selling to agencies, you can target by that. Or if you want to exclude agencies, you can exclude that. It's a really useful categorization, even though it is very broad. Interesting. So it sounds to me as if it's much better to have a list of companies that you're targeting than it is to go after an industry, which might be too broad. Am I wrong? I don't know. Talk to me about that. Yeah. I mean, if you have the data around which specific companies are are in an industry, you can upload that data, uh, which is super cool. We can talk about that too, but you know, you can upload up to 300,000 companies in a list. Wow. And because you're bringing your own data, you're not relying on LinkedIn's native data for that. You're probably going to pay less per click than you would if you were using LinkedIn's native data. I mean, even if you went and got like scraped a list of here is the Fortune 1000 or here's the Inc. 5000 and you upload that list, you're probably going to pay less per click than if you were just targeting those people natively on LinkedIn. So the size of the company is the number of employees, right? So for example, if I wanted to just stick with the marketing category, and let's just say it's called marketing and advertising, I don't know what you said it was, but something close to that, right? Yeah. Um, which covers pretty much mostly agencies, it sounds like. And then I could choose the number of employees. Like, Is there like a lot of options, like one to two, two to five, or is it like less than a thousand? What, what kind of targeting options on the size? Yeah, you've got myself only, so a one-person company. You've got 2 to 10, 11 to 50, 51 to 200, 201 to 500. Then you have these bigger bounds from 501 to 1,000, 1,000 to 5,000, 5,000 and above. And the way they calculate the number of employees is probably a little wonky because I've gone into LinkedIn and according to LinkedIn, I have hundreds of employees, which is not true. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually self-declared. So anyone who goes and creates a company page, if you say, 
say that we are you know 50 to 200 employees, LinkedIn will respect that. It's not based on the number of individuals who claim they work for the company. It's based on the company page data. Exactly. And I would actually like if they pulled it from the actual employees rather than letting companies self-declare. But yeah, yeah, it's that's the way they pulled it. Fascinating. Okay. That's really good to know. And anything else we need to know specifically about the audience targeting other than the industry, the size and the company names? That's pretty much it for the organization. Then when you start talking about the role, so the, the the person who's at these types of organizations, we've got a whole bunch of really cool targeting facets. So the one that everyone jumps to immediately is job title, but it's also the most competitive, so you're going to pay the most for it. Mm-hmm. So maybe consider some of these others. We'll actually use your example. So you were talking about a director of marketing. Obviously, the job title marketing director or director of marketing is, is how you'd reach them, but you could also reach them using a job function, which is essentially their department department of marketing and then a seniority layer of director added on. So talk to me about, give me an example of that one. Yeah. So, um, so you'd go in and select job function as the targeting method. And under that is just marketing. So you're, you know, you're targeting someone who's in the marketing department and then you'll layer on a seniority on top of them of, you have to be a director level seniority. It gets you the same person that you wanted to hit through job title, but it just costs probably a dollar less per click. Well, that's a big deal when you're spending that much money per click. That's a killer tip. What else can we do with roles? So we also really like to use skills with seniority. So we we might use like, let's go for maybe some deeper marketing skills, maybe like conversion rate optimization or social media advertising. Oh my gosh. I just figured out why they keep telling everybody to label everyone on what their skills are. (laughs) Am I right or am I wrong? (laughs) Yep. That's right. I mean, they want that data. Right. Okay. So elaborate on what the different skills are because there's mazillions of skills, right? I just made up a word there, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I actually have access to the skills through the through LinkedIn's API. And I think we counted there's something like 35,000 skills. Wow. So it's pretty much like if you go into skills and you type in marketing, it's going to drop down a whole list and there'd be like social media marketing, PPC marketing. I mean, just all those different types. So start with a seed word that you want and then build out the audience around that. Now, If an individual has one person has said that they have this skill, I would imagine they're going to qualify under that skill category. Is that correct? Yep. If they have one endorsement or a, or a hundred plus, they're going to count underneath that skill. So there isn't like a level of skill that you can target. It's just if they have the skill or if they don't have the skill, right? Yeah. I, I wish there was. I wish we could target people who were highly skilled at something, but currently we can't. So I'm just kind of crossing my fingers and waiting. Do you find that this skills thing is kind of your secret weapon when it comes to narrowing your targeting? Uh, it can be. Um, we find that skills on their own are pretty broad because each member on LinkedIn can choose up to 50. And so I have uh, SQL as one of my skills. And it's because I took a database class one time and have like a precursory knowledge. But you wouldn't want to sell me like like SQL database tools. So, so it can be a little bit broad. So if you combine that though with a job function or a job title, I would imagine you're going to get a lot closer. Am I right? Definitely. I mean, if you can take industry plus skill uh, or maybe like an interest plus a skill, you're getting a lot closer. Okay. So, so far we've talked about job title, job function, seniority, and we didn't really dig in on and skills, but seniority, let's talk about that for a second. Is that the number of years, according to their LinkedIn profile, that they've been doing a particular job function? No, it's actually their uh, their title level. So LinkedIn is pulling from a few different places to try to decide what level you're at. Hmm. Uh, it's pretty straightforward for something like a director of marketing. Got they it. know if you have director in the title, you are a director. But imagine if you were talking about someone in the government, 
you know, a director is a very high title. This is a, a an right. executive. Right. And so they would have to place that person as like a C-level title or a VP and above kind of deal. Um, so it is, it's, it's uh, determined based off of what your title is and your industry. And maybe there's something like years of experience in there as well. Is there any kind of targeting for years of experience in the particular role at all or no? Yeah, they have years of experience. It's not within a specific role, but it's just in general in the workforce. So, you know, if you started as an intern back in 2008, uh, you know, it, it might tell you you had 11 years of experience, even though that you might have changed careers two years ago and all the stuff from seven years back was just not relevant at all. So is that years of experience at company X or is it years of experience in job Function X or what is that exactly? It's just years of experience in the workforce period. So pretty much like how old someone is. <laughs> oh, really? That's not helpful yeah. really at all, is it? Uh, I mean, it can for some targets, but certainly not for others. Is there any other options under role other than the ones we've talked about? I really like targeting groups uh, because if you've gone way out of your way to go and join a group about social media advertising or social media marketing, um, even if your job title is just like head of marketing or director of marketing, I know that you're specialized in social and that means something. So you're going to have these smaller audiences, but again, you went out of your way to go and join a group. It probably means that you're a more active user of LinkedIn. So we'll probably see higher click-through rates and you know more traffic from you. When we say groups, do we just say that someone who has the title of uh, director of marketing who belongs to any groups or is it a specific group or what are we targeting with the groups? Oh yeah, great question. So it is specific groups. Uh, so I can go into the groups category and just type marketing and it might list the top 20 groups that all have marketing in the name. And I can go through and select like, ooh, social media marketing, yes. Uh, marketing job seekers, maybe not. Um, and so you're going to target the the groups that people have joined and then you can layer something else on top of them. Like let's say you've joined a group about marketing and your seniority is director, then I'm going to get marketing directors. Does it give you the option active participant in the group versus not active participant? Because uh, I'll be honest, I used to be really active in groups. I'm not anymore, you know? Uh, they do not give us that, which I think the reason why right now, they're pretty ashamed of their groups right now, honestly. And yeah, Facebook's groups are so much better. Um, so I hope LinkedIn fixes their groups, makes them a lot better so more people come. But right now it's like, you really do have to go out of your way to to engage in a group and they're not super proud of it. Anything else on the um, targeting that we should talk about? You know, those are the main ways that I target. There are other things like you have uh, all the demographics like geography, uh, male, female, years of experience, um, age, interests, like you have all that kind of stuff. But the main five that I use are job title, function, uh, skill, group, and seniority. I would imagine geography could come in really handy depending on who your target market is because this is, as you mentioned, a company that's global and they're growing more outside of North America than inside of North America. So do you sometimes recommend narrowing it down to the country if you're not really trying to target people outside the country that you're in? Yeah, country makes a ton of sense. Uh, the way that targeting on LinkedIn works is by metro area. So for instance, California has like, you know, 12, 15 metro areas. But here in Utah, where I am, we only have two. We have Salt Lake Metro and one called Provo Metro. Hmm. Um, so yeah, basically, if you fit within, if you're okay to target a pretty broad category that might reach, you know, halfway through the state, then uh, then yeah, LinkedIn's probably okay for you. If you need to be really specific and only 
only hit people within a certain city, um, LinkedIn's geography targeting is probably going to be pretty broad. Now, some people raise their eyebrow that are active Facebook advertisers when you said interests. So tell us how interests work on LinkedIn, because on Facebook, that's a really big area where a lot of people tend to target their cold advertising to interests. But what does that mean on LinkedIn? Yeah, LinkedIn's a little bit tougher for interest. I mean, all their other targeting facets were so much more powerful that I, I think they came out with interest because they were like, well, we do see what users do on the site. So we don't know what it takes to be categorized as a certain interest on LinkedIn, but we know that they're paying attention to what you post and what you engage with in the user feed. They have, they're being owned by, by Microsoft. They're also pulling Bing search data. So if one of their members has been searching for something on Bing, they can say, ooh, uh, he or she has an interest in that subject. So it's kind of piecemealed together. I wonder if they're pulling Hotmail data too, because you know that's their free email equivalent to Gmail, isn't it? It is. Yeah. I think they've been, I'd actually be really curious there. I haven't heard anyone mention anything about Hotmail or Outlook, yeah. but uh, I, I could see that definitely being the case. Is there an enormous amount of different things you can drill down in inside of interest? Do you have any sense of that? Have you messed around with that? Yeah, it's pretty broad right now. It's things like AI or Android or mm. or recruiting. I mean, it's pretty broad stuff. Got it. And be, because we don't know what actually qualifies someone, like, do they have to like three posts about AI to be called like a you know an interest in AI, or do they have to post you know nine times? What qualifies someone? We don't know. And so I tend to use it maybe more as like help me narrow an audience down slightly. Perfect. But yeah, I wouldn't use it as like. You know, I only want to target people who like AI because I just don't know how interested they are. How big of an audience do you typically recommend you get it down to before you start advertising? Because LinkedIn is more expensive, I would say pare it down to just the people that make sense. So my recommendation is somewhere between about 20,000 and 80,000 mm. in any given campaign, which I know is small compared to Facebook. Right. But if I'm willing to pay 6 to $9 a click, I want that to be used on like the most powerful prospect for me, the best fit, the most perfect fit. Um, so keep it a little bit smaller. And, you know, and if your audience, if you say, you know, I can only find 8,000 people globally, that would be a good fit. Like don't let LinkedIn talk you into, you know, targeting 300,000 and above, just target the people that you want to target. Excellent. Um, let's talk about uh, the different kinds of ad formats. And I also want to talk about bidding too, as well. Let's talk about bidding briefly. You mentioned I'm assuming it's an auction-based system. Do you recommend just setting a maximum uh, cost per click or how does that work exactly? Or does it actually tell you this is what you th we think it's going to cost? Uh, yeah. So LinkedIn will tell you what they think it's going to cost, uh, but I do not believe them <laughs> in most cases. Uh, I mean, they'll tell you a range like, hey, most people are bidding, you know, 12 to $19 a click. And, and you know, most marketers are rolling their eyes going, that's ridiculous. Like no one's paying $20 a click. Yeah. So when you go in to set a bid, it will be enabled on um, automated bidding by default. Uh, I would say immediately flip that to maximum CPC bid. That's going to be the best place to start. And then once you know that an ad is performing really well, like we know if we see an ad that's over a 1% click-through rate, we know that that's cheaper to bid CPM than it is CPC. So that's a great time to go and switch to CPM. But you know, start with CPC. It's, it's the most basic. It's the most simple. And if you're not getting enough traffic, you know you need to bid higher. Uh, if you are getting more traffic or you know, you're hitting your budgets for the day, you know you can bid lower. So what's a cost per thousand typical budget that you're talking about? Um, versus a cost per click, do you find it's far more economical to bid on a cost per thousand, the CPM? 
It's actually cheaper usually to bid CPC. Oh, really? Um, okay. Yeah. At least until you're – and this is where LinkedIn's auction is so different from Facebook. Usually Facebook on a CPM basis is, is so much better. Uh, on LinkedIn, usually CPC is how you control costs. And then once you know that your ads are over like a 1% click-through rate, then it becomes cheaper to bid CPM. I see. But I would start CPC. Ad formats. There's a lot of different – mediums, I guess. I don't know if that's even the right word upon which you can send an ad through. So let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah. I mean, definitely the first one that I'm going to recommend to people is the in-feed ad that you probably know as promoted posts on Facebook. Um, LinkedIn calls these sponsored content. And it's the most versatile ad format out there. Uh, you know, you're going to pay six to nine dollars a click on average. Um, you're going to have a big slot for either an image or a video or a carousel. And you can also attach a lead generation form to to these. So do super they, do they look just like an organic post or does it clearly stand out as an ad? Yeah, it'll look very much like a, a normal organic post. Uh, the only difference is it will say promoted or sponsored under it. Got it. Yeah. Perfect. All right. So that's the obvious one. Um, what's the next? What are some other options? Well, the next one I, I might recommend. So I, I tell people, you know, 95% of people should you know, be dedicated uh, to sponsored content. The next one, I, I say probably about 15% of advertisers should consider text ads. So this is like a right rail placement on Facebook. They are LinkedIn's cheapest ad format. So you might pay six to nine dollars a click for sponsored content, but for text ads, you might only pay three to five dollars a click with the same targeting. So these can be very efficient. The downside is they have a very low click-through rate. So you've got to have a pretty large audience size to really spend any money here, but they are desktop only. So if you have a bad landing page experience for mobile, uh, maybe this could be your main ad format. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up the desktop only because there obviously is no side rail or right rail on the mobile devices at all. When you say text only, is it more like a Google search ad? Kind of like if people visualize that in their brain, you know how it's just text and Google search? They do have a little 50 by 50 pixel image with it. Uh, so there is an image component, but mostly it's text. I mean, just think of it like like a search ad with a little tiny image. What the heck can you put in such a tiny little image? I mean, pretty much a face or a logo is pretty much what we see people do. Got it. All right. And then um, what else? Because I know there's other stuff too, right? Yeah. So text ads, I recommend like 15% of the time. They have an ad format called sponsored in-mail, which might feel more like a messaging ad on Facebook, but it's a lot closer to email. And I recommend this to about 5% of advertisers only because as opposed to the other ones where you're going to pay only when someone clicks on a sponsored in-mail message, you pay per send with no guarantee that someone's going to open it or click on it. Um, so if you have a very special kind of offer, let's say it's something that makes it feel like a personal invitation, you know, because of who you are, we want to grant you early access or a sneak peek or invite you as a VIP to this free event. You know, something like that is going to perform very well here. Uh, if you're going to just say, you know, here's a white paper downloaded or come join our webinar, you're probably going to be really expensive on these ones. Can you customize these sponsored emails, like inserting their first name and stuff like that? Or is it clearly just like an email broadcast? Yeah, yeah you can uh, insert first name, last name, company name, uh, industry. I think I get a lot of these because I get a lot of pitches from people I don't know. Is that considered sponsored email or what, what could that be? 
Well, sponsored in-mail has a really strict frequency cap. You, as a person on LinkedIn, can only receive one of these every 45 days. Whoa, so chances that's are, it? Okay. Yeah. So chances are, if you're getting a lot of other pitches, they're probably just in-mails that, that people in sales are sending to you, uh, um, which, you know, they they get you know twenty five of these every month, so you're you're the recipient <laughs> for them. So what's the dist? Do they look identical? If it's sponsored in mail, it will say promoted or sponsored. Got like, it. Right in the the preview for it. Um, this is pricey. I'm guessing. Am I right or no? Yeah, you're right. I mean, LinkedIn will make you think that it's pretty inexpensive because they say, oh, it's only $0.35 cents to $0.85 cents per send. But then when you realize that you're only going to have a 50% open rate and then a 3% click-through rate on average, uh, that you do the math and that comes out to like a $23 cost per click. So that's really high. That's why I su- suggest only use these if you have a really special offer. Uh, we have clients who are getting less than $1 per click on uh, on sponsored in-mail, and it's just because they have an amazing offer. Huh. Now, the recipient will get it in their email inbox, or they'll get it in their LinkedIn inbox, or they'll potentially get it in both if they have their email notifications set up properly, or how does that work? It actually goes only to their in-mail box. Ah. Um, it it won't alert them like a normal in-mail would to their email. Got and that's just because LinkedIn really wants to respect your privacy. Um, but it will only fire to you when you are logged into LinkedIn. So it won't ever fire one off when you're not being active. Uh, you will see it increment in your in your messages uh, only when you're active. Okay. So we talked about sponsored content slash in-feed ads, sponsored in-mail, text ads. Are there any other ad formats we should talk about? Yeah, there's a fourth that just got re- recently added called dynamic ads. This one's interesting. I get asked about it a lot because they'll actually stick your profile image into the ad. So it, it kind of catches your attention. Hmm. Um, but I, I end up recommending this to about 0% of advertisers. I think that's just going <laughs> to piss people off because they're going to think you're using their their image with your image without authorization, <laughs> right? Yeah, it can feel a little bit creepy. It can feel a little bit invasive. But I I mean, really, when it comes down to it with this ad format, I can't find anything good to say because it has low click-through rates like text ads. So it's hard to drive traffic. And then the costs are higher than sponsored content in in some regards. Uh, Like they're in the $12 to $15 per click range. So that's why I say stick with sponsored content. It's really good reach for kind of -of middle-of-the-road prices. Uh, Ignore dynamic ads entirely. Okay, my last question. What tip do you have for increasing the likelihood that your ad will be a good ad? Ooh, uh, I I say, I mean, I kind of mentioned this at the beginning, but I say, keep this really simple. Don't get complex with your language. Just realize that people are there on LinkedIn for a reason. And so you need to cut straight to the point. So the very first thing in your ad should be, here's why you should pay attention. And the second thing should be call to action. Um, you know, Get those out quickly, get r- right to the point, respect their time. And uh, you will most likely have a click-through rate that is two or three times LinkedIn's average, just because there's a lot of advertisers out there doing it wrong. Awesome. AJ, if people want to discover more about you, and all the great stuff that you've got going, where can they find you? Well, I'm pretty easy to contact if you go to b2links.com, our website, and fill out the form on any page. Uh, you won't go to a sales rep and you won't be put into our marketing automation workflow. It just goes directly to my inbox and I am not a sales guy. So feel free to reach out. Uh, something else that might be interesting, we have a, a free checklist for um, how to get started on LinkedIn ads. And it's the same checklist we use when we onboard a new client. So anyone who wants this, it's totally free. Go to b2linked.com slash checklist. And if you don't tick that box that says, I want AJ to contact me, you'll never hear from us ever again. It's just pure value. 
Well, I can say that AJ knows what he's talking about. He's been speaking at Social Media Marketing World on this very topic for years. If you are looking for someone that can that you want to help, he is the guy. Let him know you found him here on this podcast, the Social Media Marketing Podcast. AJ Wilcox, really appreciate you coming on and sharing your wisdom with us. Oh, Michael, thanks so much for letting me share with your audience. By the way, if there's anything we mentioned in today's episode and you didn't catch it all, don't worry. We got all the notes for you. Simply visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash 365. This brings us to the end of yet another episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you next week. I hope you make the absolute best out of your day. And may social media continue to change your world. The Social Media Marketing Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner. Hey, just a quick reminder, join the Social Media Marketing Society today and level up your marketing for your company or your clients. Visit smmarketingsociety.com to find out more.